Hello and welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, an RPG podcast about all things RPG. So clearly, we're going to talk about Final Fantasy 16. Yeah, we're, we're, we're here. We're going to talk about the big game of the week. And I'm here, Eric Van Allen, hosting Cat, still out at the supermarket getting some milk. She'll be back soon. Don't worry about it. Naughty Oxford, how you doing? Uh, I'm all right. Uh, but before we started the show, I was saying like, oh, say we're podcasting during the time that a uh, there's a uh, a civil war going on in a nuclear armed country. So if this is our last uh, podcast, hey, it's been great. Uh, it is appropriate that you were talking about Final Fantasy because this will truly mm-hmm. be our mm-hmm. Final Fantasy. But you know what? We survived this far. We may as well just keep on going. I always, I always said I wanted to go down doing content. You know, this is there how I go. wanted to go. Uh, let yeah. my grave down. Uh, just he was very tired all the time, um, and now, <laughs> now he can sleep. Now hopefully he isn't anymore. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's how the last uh, the last month has felt, I guess. Right, mm, mm-hmm. Street Zelda into into Street Fighter into Final Fantasy. Zelda into Street Fighter into getting married. Into Final Fantasy was a lot. Congratulations, Congratulations. Um, So yeah, I'm I'm glad to. Uh, I'm going to sleep for all of July. I think hopefully, you deserve it. Today we are here to talk about Final Fantasy 16, and you know maybe some other news that happened. You know, I heard something happened at that Nintendo Direct that we should probably uh, spend a little bit of time chatting about. But before we get there, we are Axe of the Blood God in RPG podcast. You can find us at patreon.com slash bloodgodpod and at all the podcatchers of your choice, Spotify, iTunes, whatever, we're out there. Uh, we, of course, have plenty of different shows to offer. You might be listening through the free feed right now, or you might be one of our backers on Patreon. If you want to be one of those people, you can head over to patreon.com slash bloodgodpod and sign up for various different subs we've got a few different specials on the way our cora book specials are coming we promise they are happening it's just things life you know life finds a way to screw all <laughs> our plans screwing things up uh Absolutely. it happens we we work around it those are happening don't worry we'll have some book specials with some very special guests at some point We've got our upcoming Pantheon game, uh, Yume Niki, which was our selection for the RPG Maker Month. Very excited about that. Very uh, formative game, I feel, for a lot of different genres. Uh, really like played a big role in, in a lot of subtle ways. And so I'm very excited for us to talk about that. Uh, we also have some Charlene dropouts coming up. I believe our next episode is scheduled for next week, but we've got some great episodes up. Apparently there was some Vancouver th- stuff happening in the last one. Uh, Vic getting a little spicy on the Charlene dropouts. I'm not sure what's going on there. <laughs> the but, Vancouver uh, dropouts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that that, that is just becoming uh, its own thing. And uh, shout outs to Vic for all for all the work that, that he does, all the work, Nadia, that you do on Charlene dropouts. Y'all are great. Oh, no it's problem. been great. Uh, exciting news. I will be at FanFest. Ooh, fan yes. fest. Square Enix is sending me. I'm very happy about that. Uh, I'm not. I'm, I'm trying to see what kind of interviews and stuff I can get, if any. And um, I will definitely be. I would. I'm, I'm thinking of stuff to do. I'm sure I'll have content. And I'm going to see the primals live. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it's I will a good. It's a good show. It's a good. It's, it I, would be. I, I have seen them in the. And I'm not even a big. Uh, I did my time. I was an eleven player. Uh, and yeah. thousands oh, of hours. Okay. Into 11 back in the day and i sort of i played initial um 14 quite a lot of it actually and i played round reborn but then i just sort of dropped off i'm just too busy but i did go to fan fest probably two expansions in i guess 
for work mm. and that was definitely the highlight was uh was the the primals gig so i'm sure you'll have a great time and it's I'm in, gonna have a great it's in time. vegas which vegas is great so i've never been to vegas i've actually been to the vegas airport and i won 10 bucks but i've never actually been in a casino or anything like that some of them are nice some of them are hellish you know some of them are, are very sterile and awful I hope, oh are, are really you saying nice. that like square is going to put me up in like some roach motel because that'd be hilarious i don't know where i don't know where it is oh it's at the convention center yeah, it's yeah. at the convention center. So they'll pro if I had to guess, it would be because every time I've I've never been for like FanFest or anything, but I've been once for PSX when that was in Vegas that one year. And then I've been once for Evo, because Evo is always in Vegas. Yeah. Uh and both times I think I stayed in the Luxor, which yeah. I'll just say is not like the best, but it's not the worst. It's if, there, if it's there's a fine. swimming pool, I'm happy. I'm good. Oh, see. There's probably a pool. There's a pool at Mandalay Bay, right? Because that's the one yeah, that everyone definitely. would hang out at during Evo. Yeah. There's the, the only thing I, I quite like the looks, and the Luxor has that weird. Uh, it's got that esports center now. Oh boy, yeah, that's does. right. Awesome. But, yeah. uh, and they have they have Street Fighter fight nights every Friday, which is great. But um, oh shit! The only nice. thing about the Luxor is just it's one of the ones where smoking is still okay inside and so no how is that possible on the casino floor well most of them do Uh, but that means the best casinos are the ones where they don't yeah for sure there has not been smoking indoors in like most canadian buildings since i was a very small kid my earliest memories i'm talking about like some of my really earliest memories was shopping with my parents and actually being in a stroller while they're smoking and that disappeared like very quickly so I'm not looking forward to that, but I can, uh, I can manage, I suppose. Yeah, it's 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 a funny old city. I mean, in the UK, I think we banned smoking. I don't know, maybe mid 2000s. I'm old enough to remember going to nightclubs before the ban, but maybe mm. only for a year. So it must have been right around the time I was 18, 19 that they banned it. Um, yeah. Oh no, maybe, I don't miss maybe it. a bit later. No, I don't, I don't either. Miss it. It's, I would go back to the States and like there, everyone would be smoking in Darius and I'd be like, Oh, holy shit. I did not miss this at all. Well, I, and I feel like with the rise in vaping and vape pens and stuff like that, like it, it just feels like one has supplanted the other. Obviously like yeah. a vape pen does not make the same kind of like residue and, and like smoky haze that like a cigarette does, but you still see a lot of people. I just, still vape like, outside. I don't yeah. vape indoors. No, I see a lot of people vape indoors. Uh, they 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 get away with some stuff I, it's yeah, becoming quite contentious to... it's becoming quite yeah. contentious here like i've seen people in pubs get said get get told by not like the staff or the bouncers but by like another patron uh stop smoking that or i'm gonna chin you basically um <laughs> so yeah, I love there's, there's definitely I love a, an attitude developing towards it i think uh in in the uk at least well there's an attitude developing towards supporting Axe of the Blood God here. And if you want to keep doing that, head on over to Axe of the Blood God, our Patreon, Blood God Pod, or our store, uh, shop.bloodgodpod.com, where we've got plenty of great merch. It's all fantastic. We, we love all of it. We're going to keep rolling out more of it. And also stay tuned. We've got our charity stream coming up. We don't have yeah. firm dates for that, but that's going to be in July. And y'all, I got some kooky plans. I got some crazy plans for it. I hope they all come together. There's some really, really dumb, silly things that I'm going to try to do for this charity stream. Uh, I hope it all works. But with all that, it's time for our main topic. Final Fantasy 16. It is available at a store near you right now. It is out. 
I have played, completed, reviewed it. Alex Donaldson game with a lot of smoking has played. In it. Another What's game. With a, it's, I said a game with a lot of smoking in it. You know, that's uh, that's oh, I thought it was with a lot of soaking in it. Smoking. And I was like, yeah, it's, there's it's a lot got, of soaking in that game. There's a lot of soaking in it as well, yeah. But yeah, there's a lot yeah. of smoking in it. A lot of character smoke. There really is. I actually, I think that is a like very nice thematic touch uh because all the characters who smoke a lot are the dominants who you know they yeah like they ain't gonna live long so <laughs> may as well um yeah i i like that but final fantasy 16 uh out now i have played completed reviewed it uh alex donaldson you have played completed i believe you reviewed it as well for yeah, vg247 so, yeah i reviewed it on vg247 um Cullen, uh, Cullen Black reviewed it on RPG site. Um, mm-hmm. We had some very similar thoughts and some very different thoughts. And he and I both 100%ed it as well, which, um, mm. and, and had quite different playtimes. So it's interesting. Um, but yeah, uh, that was a, it was cool that Square got it out to people quite early, which was quite nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was Final nice. Final Fantasy for her 15. Change. Well, Final Fantasy 15 was, and I will, I've never shied away from saying this, was the worst review experience of my life. Where, oh, no. Yeah, where they sent, they sent us code like 72, maybe 80 hours before the embargo. Oh. And it's like a 60-hour game. So by the it's time not short. Played the game, I remember it was like I was sleeping for, I mean, it was, I was sleeping on the sofa for four hours and then waking up and picking up the controller and carrying on. It was awful. And they clearly heeded some of that feedback from me and many other in the media because yeah they sent this through like with a good two weeks uh a bit more actually uh which is almost like nintendo time frames so that yeah. was great yeah um i like i want to say it was something like like three-ish weeks it was a little bit different because we had sgf in the middle of it so like i knew a lot of folks i was one of them who had to go out to sgf in person so you, you're not gonna lug a ps5 out to la <laughs> to yeah. play during a conference no um and so that was kind of that was still a bit of like a time crunch but it was not that bad and also the game is not i maybe it's it's colored by the fact that i did octopath traveler 2 earlier this year and i I, octopath was a much meatier meatier game just in terms of like things that you had to get through like that was a 90 hour playthrough for me by the time i roll credits uh, whereas uh, Final Fantasy 16 was probably about 55 hours for me. I did not do all the side quests. Well, so this uh, is the I thing. Imagine. I don't know where some people are getting 70 hours from because I did all side content. So all the trials, mm-hmm. um, all the side quests, all that sort of stuff, all the hunts. Um, and I ended up at about 55 hours tops. And Cullen do ended you... up at about 60, 61, 62, and he did the same. So he was about five hours longer. Do you so, hit X to get through dialogue? Like, uh, do you let the do you let the voice acting finish, or do you hit X like just to move on to the next dialogue? It depends on how it depends on how interesting the dialogue is. So some of the side quest dialogue, there you I go. Would, I, I would read it and press X because I was just like, I'm obviously yes. never gonna never gonna skip a main scene. But if it's just someone talking about apples and how I, they've got a new breed of apples i'm just i'm, I'm apples like, amazing move, move. i would not be surprised if that's a big factor in the hour difference just because there is so much talking in this game especially in the side quests and like various degrees of good and or bad talking but we'll, we'll talk about that in detail in a moment 
Mm-hmm. Uh, broadly, I just want to get the the who, what, where, when, why out of the way. Final Fantasy 16, first mainline Final Fantasy since 2016's Final Fantasy 15. Uh, this is the one led up by Creative Business Unit 3, who folks might remember from Final Fantasy 14. So we've got Naoki Yoshida, we've got Koji Fox, we've got Soken. We've also got some other interesting people on board uh most notably uh one of capcom's stars uh ryota suzuki was working on this uh came from devil may cry and stuff like that to basically make an action rpg for square enix and that was very much the one of the driving narratives going into this game was that this was not going to be turn-based this was not going to be even the sort of what I would say is very like Kingdom Heartsy action of Final Fantasy 15. Um, this this feels like a more RPG version of Devil May Cry or um, eh, Metal Gear Rising is probably a little bit too fast, a little bit too hectic. But like those those like character action games, mm-hmm. um, even with a, a tinge of The Witcher or uh, or God of War or something like that. Uh, it's a very interesting, different look. It's also a dark fantasy story. Uh, I think a lot of people were expecting maybe a bit of like Ivalice type stuff. I think it ended up being a bit more, again, Witcher style than anything else. This really did feel like the Final Fantasy Witcher to me. Yeah, I uh, think, I think it, the Ivalice connection is, is it's there and it's definitely the closest thing in the existing final fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. Pantheon. Yeah. But I do think it's very different. So when I see people on, on Twitter, or on message boards, like dismissing people for saying this is very different and going, well, final fantasy has been like this before there's tactics and there's 12. This is mm. very different. It's a tonal thing rather than a, what it looks mm. like. Thing. 12 still has a bunny um, girl in it. And they've, yeah, yeah. And they've, and they've played, I think it's funny. Like you mentioned, you know, just, Suzuki. He's one of the most. I think there's the three most important people on this game are three people who mm. they haven't mm-hmm. really sent on the promotional tour much, in the sense that Yoshida said to me himself, he was like, "This is not my game." He said, "I'm right, just the guy right, right. who ticks the boxes and says this is okay, this isn't okay." Uh, really, it's Hiroshi Takai, the director, who obviously mm. worked with Yoshida a bunch on Final Fantasy XIV, but his biggest credit before this was director of the last remnant which is a great sort of game with meaty systems but falls flat in other areas and then of course there's kazutoyo mehara who is Mm -hmm. perhaps less famous than some of the other square developers but has just an amazing career and obviously that's where the 12 and 14 12 living Mm. um lineage in particular comes in but i think they've played they've sort of played a bit of a blinder with uh suzuki because like he worked on Devil May Cry 5, but it's not like he was the combat director or whatever. So it's really it's really funny to me how they've sort of elevated him up. It's great because it's great to see a young creator get elevated, right? Um, mm-hmm. For sure. But they've almost, in a PR sense, tried to sell it as this is the game from the guy that bought you DMC5, <laughs> which is a bit right, cheeky. Right, right. Um, yeah. They they got somebody who worked on the combat side to work on the combat here, which which makes some level of sense. Yeah yeah right right it it makes some level of sense because like yeah they are i i remember i've now interviewed as as of this recording i've interviewed suzuki twice and both times it was just like i am trying to bring a different type of gameplay to square enix like something that Mm -hmm. square enix has not really done before and um 
I guess we can start there with like the action combat as the the big overall thing. Uh, I think it works. I think it's maybe the best part about Final Fantasy 16 is the combat. I really, really like the combat. It's a lot of fun. I love the icon switching. I love the different abilities. I love the the stagger system. I love the way that every ability feels very distinct and unique. Uh, I just absolutely adore it. But uh, Donaldson, I'm curious about your thoughts on it. Uh, having also played an absolute butt ton of this game. It's good. I mean, I, I guess the thing is, I know you want to start with the combat, but I think it's difficult to talk about the combat in a in a microcosm, in isolation, mm, okay. sorry. So, like, if, you, if you're just talking about the combat individually, yes, the combat is excellent. I don't just think it's a good Devil May Cry 5 sort of um, imitator. I think it's actually a really good one of those games in its own merit. It might even be as good as DMC five or even a bit better. Um, it feels good. I think the, uh, the assistant stuff they've done is smart where they've given, they give you these accessories where if you are not a proficient comboer or proficient at dodging, you can have auto combo auto dodge, or you can have an accessory that makes it easier to dodge by basically giving you a quick time event whenever you're about to be hit, things like that. Um, my issue is more how that interfaces with a game that's 40 hours long at a minimum, mm. as opposed to a My game hand that's, did start to hurt. <laughs> that's 15 hours long. It's not just about hand hurting, right? Like, cause it's like yeah. the, and this comes into, so I guess the hypothesis I put forward in my review was that DMC five is a DMC five is the DMC five is 15 hours and this is 40. And what they've got is, through an amazing story, an intriguing world, if a bit flat, I think. Um, mm. They've got a really, really good 10 out of 10, possibly one of the best of all time, action, story-driven action game. But when, but what's happened is that has been bolted to an RPG that ranges from okay all the way down to actually quite crap. <laughs> um, mm. and, that, and that makes up the other... 20 25 hours of the game and that's the issue really so it's sort of like um i think the icon powers that you unlock are awesome uh but ultimately there's only there's the there's there's the main icons they've all got what four powers each except for e3 who only has three was it four yeah, or it five kind of um, e kind of a weird weird yeah. outlier in that sense and yeah you can and you can only equip three of them and you can only equip two skills on each icon. So that means you can only have a maximum of six skills out of the, however many it is. It's like, you can only have like 15% of the total skills you can have equipped at any given time. Um, which is standard and normal for like a DMC game. But the, the place it led for me was I had thousands of skill points that I wasn't spending because there's yes. no point in spending yeah. skill points on skills you're not using there are certain skills which are amazing, but like um, Odin, is it Odin who's got the cancel? Um, which is uh, just with it, the the blade and all that. Yeah, well, the, it's specifically though. It's like a move cancel, so it's almost like a Street Fighter move cancel. I uh, I haven't done a ton of Odin work yet. I've I've only just started to like uh, mess around with him and some of the post game stuff I've been doing. It's but. like that 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 cancel is an incredible tool and it's mm-hmm. so powerful, but. 
if you've got the choice between that and a move that just straight up does an ass load of damage, you're going to do the ass load of damage. And so, and this, the same for how these unlock where I just think it's so ill-advised that like these icons, uh, where they're placed in the game, where before you have a full set, where you have three set three icons and three sets of moves you can cycle through, which is a full set in terms of what you can equip. You're like 25 hours in and you've been just, and for so many of those 25 hours, it's felt so limited. And so this is where I feel like they've built this incredible combat system, but it's actually dragged down a little bit by the stuff that that's attached to it. Um, and that was a bit of a bummer. And don't get me wrong. I really like this game. And I think you guys will know this. You've written many reviews. I found this a really interesting, really difficult review to write because yeah, yeah. The, the the things that are good about the game are startlingly easy to articulate. You say the story is good, the characters mm-hmm. are great, it's got mm-hmm. the best Sid in the series. Um, oh god, yeah. The the core combat is excellent. The music's the music's great. It is frequently astonishingly good looking, but then the stuff that isn't so good takes ages to articulate because it's so complicated and it's not just about the graphics mm-hmm. are bad or whatever. It's about how that stuff interfaces with the stuff that's good and makes the stuff that's good actually a little bit worse. Um, and mm. so when I finished the first draft of my review, it was a positive four star review, but it was like 30% positive and 70% negative, And I had to, in the edit, go back and think about, how I was going to structure it and take some of the criticism out and beef up some of the positives because you don't want it to read like as you that's slamming on the game, that then is a four because it is a really, yeah. really good game. But I, it, I would also yeah. mind say I wasn't deeply disappointed with the RPG aspect of it. And it's not going in. Cause I think the thing I keep seeing on forums, recent era, Twitter, whatever is people going, Oh, well you've approached the game. You want the game to be an RPG. So you're judging it as an RPG. But honestly, I don't give a damn. Like, you know, even on a website like RPG site, we're perfectly happy to look at stuff like God of War that's extremely RPG light and we judge them on their own Mm -hmm. merits. The issue that 16 has got is it's got quite a lot of RPG stuff, but none of it's very good. And yet that stuff is still in the game and a lot of it is on the main critical path as well. So you have to interface with it. And that's where I sort of run on the rocks of like how good the combat is. And that's why I can't talk about the combat without talking about how that stuff disappoints and how over, over time yes. the first 10 hours, you're like, this combat's amazing. I'm figuring out combos. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. By the time you reach hour 30, the sheen is wearing off the combat because there's not enough new stuff to do. And the RPG progression isn't good enough to really open up significant new options in combat other than when you first unlock the icons and so that's so, where yeah go go ahead and finish that finish no that. no that, that that's pretty much it yeah um i i do i agree with some sentiments i want to push back on a few of them yeah and of and and that's um so so my broad sentiment you know i wrote my review at destructoid.com i was waffling a lot about where i wanted the score to land uh i was i think at various points between eight eight point five nine i ended up going with my heart and just i really (coughs) did love my time with this game and landed on the higher end of the scale um and i i still feel that way about it but i do also i hear a lot of the stuff you're talking about i think i have like two major qualms with this game and it is that number one it has issues with its side characters that we can talk about um it does 
a, a few side characters, a number of side characters. It, it just doesn't give them anything. They just get sidelined in favor of uh, the main story, and especially Clive's story uh, in a way that I wasn't like super wild about. Uh, but also the other one is that there are some RPG aspects, especially the the side quests that I feel the side quests have really good story, really like great writing in them and some really big, surprisingly notable story moments happen in the side quests. Uh, I was continuously surprised by the things they were putting in the side quests that felt like they should have been on the main track of the game. Uh, but uh, the actual structure of the side quests are the most realm reborn side quests that I have ever seen. Uh, the MMO quest. Yeah. 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 It's it's we're we're doing Realm Reborn. We go go talk to somebody, go talk to somebody else, kill some enemies, pick up a thing, bring it back to the person, good job, and like repeat ad nauseum. Go back and to Waking Sands. It doesn't even yes, fit return. It doesn't even fit with who char- who Clive is and where he is, especially right. after the second time skip. The idea that you're going to pick up dirt for someone is just when he's in the situation that he's in. You know, he's the leader of this group. It's just ludicrous. It doesn't work. It doesn't fit the character. But also, you know, I, like I say, I 100%ed it and I counted one side quest where I didn't, where, that didn't involve either talking to a bunch of people in sequence, going somewhere and killing something, or both. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. I counted one, yeah. one out of like 80 quests. And for me, that's where the RPG stuff, I'm just like, that, yes. the fact that I ended the game with, 400,000 gil because there was nothing to spend money on. The fact that I ended the game. Orchestrian rolls, baby. You got to buy all those who, MP3 who tracks. Who gives a shit? This is why I mean, like, give me something real. And for the same for the crafting materials, right? Where I ended the game with thousands of crafting materials. And then the game's doing this. I, I did the Tim Rogers thing, right? Of after I finished the mm-hmm. game, I went back and scrubbed through my footage. And it, I mm-hmm. think it was mm-hmm. 16 chests that I opened that contained anything other than just more crafting materials. And I it's stopped just, opening chests you, halfway into the game. I, but yeah. this is what I mean. That is, it's not a good RPG. At which point, take that stuff out and just make your action game. Um, it's fine. But like, it's so compromised on the RPG side, it really bums me out. Like, because if you get to the point where you're like, I don't need to spend skill points, I don't need to spend money, I don't need these crafting materials, to the point where you're not even opening chests. What are mm, we doing? Mm. Like, it's really... For, and obviously, this is an RPG podcast, so I'm trying to talk about it from an RPG perspective. <laughs> no, well. you, you do. Yeah, yeah. But it's yeah. just like, it, it's just, and people keep saying it's a good RP, you know, people either say it's a good RPG, which I think people who say that need the head testing. But, um, but mm. people all also say, people are only saying this because it's Final Fantasy game. They've got preconceptions, but it's not preconceptions to judge the game on what's in the game. And I actually think right, that gets right. to the heart of it where a lot of this stuff is in the game because they felt like it had to be in a Final Fantasy game. So mm. party members, mm. for instance, they felt like they had to have them. But the problem is they just sort of silently shuffle back and forward and occasionally toss out a magic spell. Mm-hmm. Mm. Some of your party members don't have magic either as well. And they're great characters. Like there's the sequence when you are and had a had a identify the sequence without any spoilers. There's a sequence when you're about to get on the boat and you're fighting yes. alongside a number of characters and yes. during that fight they're all talking and quipping and um, mm-hmm, there's mm-hmm. there's this byron and he he's making some great quips and i absolutely love oh, i love byron i absolutely I love, love Gav as well and like you've got uh-huh, uh-huh. mid talk like talking over a loudspeaker and 
Mm-hmm. That's the feeling that this game is missing for like the other 40, well, for like the other 59 and a half hours in the sense that, yes, Final Fantasy 15, you also only controlled Noctis, at least until the Royal Edition came out. But the difference mm-hmm. was because you had the team up attacks and the AI companions were active and vocal, it did always, it always felt like you were fighting alongside people mm-hmm. in every encounter almost in 16 apart from some story encounters where people have some things to say you can delete jill you can delete sid you can delete gav mm-hmm. and it makes no difference <laughs> and yeah and, and and that's the sort of thing it is what it is right but i feel like how that's come about is that they've sat around the table and said we're a final fantasy game we've got to have party members but having party members didn't actually interface well with the sort of game that they wanted to make but they put them in anyway yeah yeah it's it's like a tricky thing and i think i i I agree that like there are elements of this game that i wish had been rethought just to make the game that they wanted to make and not necessarily feel like they needed to make a a quote-unquote final fantasy game um the one thing that i did want to mention about the icon powers specifically um you said something about like the the icon powers don't really change or or anything as as the game goes on they don't they don't to be clear um you do get more icon powers and i do think they add interesting playstyle nuances like uh, when you get bahamut i think bahamut is a really cool different way of playing that game and you can really kind of focus your playstyle around doing bahamut stuff charging up mega flare being that that type of character and it plays very differently than if you're doing like Titan and you're doing very like counter centric, uh, like stagger build up play style. Um, there was an hit ability you can get at the beginning of the game called Heat Wave from Phoenix. That is the best ability in the game. I will just say it straight up. That thing owns. It doesn't do a lot of damage. It doesn't do a lot of stagger. But it's its thing is it can eat magic spells. And if it eats a magic spell, like if you throw it out and it's basically like a Hadouken or or a, or a sonic boom, you know, it's a projectile that travels across mm-hmm. the battlefield. And if it hits a magic spell, it absorbs it. And then you get more power out of that. There are so many boss spells that you can just absorb with this one attack that I was using it the entire game and just being amazed at all the different little interactions that that specific spell had. And the same way with Titans Raging Fists. Or um, Garuda's uh, Air Tornado and stuff like that, where I think the I think the abilities are very like more multifaceted than they seem at first blush. At least oh, some of them are. I mean, 100%. like Garuda's gouge is like it, it does what it does, right? Like it's 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 Berserker Barrage, and and you just do the Berserker Barrage on somebody. But stuff like Heat Wave, stuff like Raging Fists, even the the upheaval, I think, is the the Titan Slam. When I found out that you could use that in the air as like an air finisher, I was like, it was completely just opened up a new world of like combo potential for me. And so it's great, but I just feel like there isn't enough for for, for fifty hours. Is the thing, I guess. Mm. Um, even if there was one it's, more, it's icon. very yeah, it's very weebly wobbly too. Like it's you get like two-ish icons at the beginning of the game and then you get a lot of icons near the end of the game and it feels like the way they distribute it is a bit off yeah it feels wildly poorly paced that i mean it's not a spoiler i don't think to say that you don't get the last icon until literally 
<laughs> the, but, like the but, last but, zone but the, of the game. Well, yeah. By yeah. the time you get it, all you have left is um, so a bunch of the end game side quests where it's structured a lot like Mass Effect. So once you're mm-hmm. once you're at the point where the final mission is in sight, it pops a bunch of stuff so you can sort of have your final moment with all the characters mm-hmm. you love. And the final mission isn't even a mission. It's just you go there. It's a bunch of cutscenes and then some boss fights. So, because I yeah. was sort of, I was sort of like, oh, at least I'll get to use Odin in like a classic last Final Fantasy dungeon. There isn't one. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, the pacing of how that—that's what I mean about that stuff. Sort of compromising the game a little bit. If I may, my hypothesis is that mm-hmm. at some point, obviously, there are a bunch of icons in the lore of Final Fantasy 16, and one of them is not in the game, and. And gets it, mentioned by name. And gets mentioned by name. And I think yes. it's pretty obvious that's going to be DLC. But my yeah. guess is that that was originally in the main progression and probably helped to even out that feeling where there's quite a long time that passes between two of the icon unlocks in particular. And it's yes. just like, wow, yeah. why is there such a big gap? And I wonder if that big gap is where that character, where that where, where Leviathan would have gone. I think if I remember the lore, right? Yes, you said it's it's Leviathan. They mentioned Leviathan in the lore as an icon, as as one of the icons of the land. But they say Leviathan lost, not in so the... clearly, yeah. it's been gone I for a while. Think I think lore wise, I, I mean, so I'm we're we're trying to dance around spoilers here. Obviously, everyone has not played the game. We're trying to be like very careful about what we say. There are some things that when you talk about this game, like. They've already Square has already said like what icons are in the game and who's their dominant and all that. So I don't feel weird about saying that stuff, but I, I kind of want to dance around the lore. But I think the people who have because every nation kind of has their own icon. And I think the people who had Leviathan have like purposefully removed Leviathan from the cycle or something. It's it's like a weird thing where uh, there there is like a in lore reason why Leviathan is not there. But I agree that it does feel like this very obvious plant of like, we could do this as DLC in the future if we would like. And they've said very openly that they were like, uh, Square was was so eager to have that. We don't have a day one patch. This game is complete and all that. And then they were like, oh, we got to do a day one patch. <laughs> I, I, I think uh, Yoshida outright said that they're not working on DLC. Yeah. Dude is, yeah. Dude is lying. Like they're, they're, they're going to be, they're not just going to be, a little bit working on it they're probably most of the way along on it <laughs> like let's be real about this and it will be obvious when they announce it because these things don't get made in they don't get made quickly so when they announce it before the end of the year it will be obvious that it's been being worked on for more than six months um, i was gonna say do you do you think it's maybe a case of they're they're using terminology and they're like we're not working on dlc because it's an expansion or something like i yeah, maybe. I, I think I mean, that if they were going to add to this game, it would be a bit meatier than just like, oh, we added like two missions. I think anything they add to this game would probably have to be a bit. It's meaty. obvious have to me. to add new areas and stuff like that. I know we're talking about what isn't in the game rather than what is at this moment, but it's obvious to me yes. you, you don't put you don't put that character on the mural and yeah, you know, yeah. foreground it and even mention it if it isn't going somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it doesn't. Leviathan's a very like always been a very iconic icon, so to speak. It's my my favorite icon, my and favorite I'm summer. Fantasy. I'm quite keen yeah. to say it out loud, even to people who who haven't played the game yet, because I don't think it's a spoiler to set the expectation that it ain't there. 
No, so once I heard like they mentioned Leviathan in the game, I was like, there's got to be a secret boss. There's got to be something I've been tearing across this game, trying to find something, some inkling of something. There's a door, by the way. We should talk later. There's a door that I'm curious about. I will be honest and say, I think I can can say this without any spoilers. I think Uh, I think what you're about to say, they have already said publicly. So. Oh, I don't know. Well, all I know is that door. I don't know if they said anything about that door publicly in the last. Oh, not hours. the door, not the door. I know the okay. door. I even like messaged a friend at Square and was like, "Any idea?" And they were like, "Nope." I wondered this myself in my own playthrough. I'll I'll ask the team. <laughs> so yeah. So I don't. Uh, know. I thought you were going to say that they have publicly said that there's no, there's not going to be like secret bosses or anything like that. Well, the the um, one thing is, there's quite a lot, and I think this is a good thing to say because neither you or I have experienced mm-hmm. this in full. I'm guessing, but there's quite a lot to the new game plus mode. So yeah, all yeah. the all I, the all yeah. the quest rewards change, um, mm-hmm. the hunts change. Mm-hmm. Um, like I find it suspicious that when the hunts end, they end. Uh, the hunts are in rows of five, I think. And it ends mm-hmm. like two into a row of five. So I wonder if there might be three more hunts in New Game Plus, possibly. Yeah, I have been. So a friend of the show, Jesse Vitelli, has been playing through New Game Plus. This is actually pretty far into it. Uh, last time I checked in with him, I think he was up to um, the big. I'm going to say the big icon fight that happens in the the like meeting place of the twins you know mm-hmm. what i'm talking about mm-hmm. um yeah, yeah yeah oh one of my favorite sequences of the game um oh it rips oh it's so good <laughs> uh the icon battles we'll talk about in just a moment but uh he he has been playing it and saying that like even just in the first area there are like bosses that are wholly replaced by other enemies and stuff like that and he's seeing a lot of um enemies that were like boss characters c rank hunts that sort of thing uh as like enemies that show up more often and with more gumption let's say with a little bit more oomph behind what they do uh and obviously like kicks the level cap up but that was kind of the interesting thing is it almost feels like their intention then is that they want you to play new game plus because even the new game plus mode is called final fantasy mode they're like Yep, welcome to Final Fantasy. This is this you're is what you're here. building Yoshida, up to. Y- Yoshida said this, right? Yoshida said that they designed Final Fantasy mode first and then tooled back down to the difficulty that is the one that you that the chips and that sort of does my head in because it's just like just have it unlocked from the start then because that's probably one of my other criticisms of the game is that it's woefully easy. Um Yeah, it, and, it, it like yeah. And FF7 Remake did also lock the hard mode behind um, behind New Game Plus. But that game was pretty challenging in places on normal anyway. Um, yeah. Unless mm-hmm. you were really grinding it out. That is not a problem in 16. 16 is dead easy. Um, I think I I think I can count the number of times I died on like one hand and it was mostly because in two instances there were instant kill abilities that I just messed up on. Uh, shout outs to a certain enemy that has a like dying uh, desperation move that is an instant kill if you don't dodge that it. Is the, that is the only thing that killed me all game. It got once. it got yeah. me. And you know what? I was happy it got me. That was the best. But uh, yeah, no, I, I like died in a couple other places just because I wasn't paying attention to my health and stuff like I that. I died but in the it, tutorial because I'm trying to figure out the comboing. Yeah, when I died, it felt like it was more like 
oh, I was being dumb and wasn't doing things I was supposed to be doing or I was messing around and found out versus like I felt like there was a challenge that really pushed me to the edge of what I had to do and was capable of doing. Uh, so, yeah, I agree that that like the difficulty's not really there, um, even in the icon fights and the icon fights. Uh, I I think it's weird that they open the demo. The only icon fight in the demo is the Phoenix one, because it's, I like Phoenix a lot. I like Panzer a Dragoon fight, a good though, bit. Isn't it? It's a bad fight. It's, it's not fun. It, 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 shitty Star Fox is not how we need to sell. Um, <laughs> shitty Star Fox. Yeah. It's not, it, yeah. It's not, it's not how to like the, but, but yeah, I mean, it, it definitely, if you've played the demo and that's something that's put you off the game, there's definitely some ones later on that are better. The Titan and Bahamut ones in particular are excellent. Mm. I think the other two, mm. I can, the others I can sort of take or leave, but the Titan and Bahamut ones are, are great. There's um, there's one at the end that I cannot say anything about because even describing it would be a spoiler, but I think it seared my retinas. Like I think I can't see certain colors anymore because of how bright and shiny that one was. Uh I was that, I was shocked by it, but they're, they're the natural conclusion. They're the natural evolution of sort of the six minute arc summon animation yes. from nine. Yeah. You know, oh, I, guess, I guess my only criticism of it is, is if you're going to make them that non-interactive, you may as well not make them interactive at all. Some parts of it, like the QTEs are bizarre because the window for the QTEs is so large. Yeah, it's the same buttons over and over again too. Something like, I'm curious about the, the cutscene bits. I wonder, is it possible mm-hmm. to even die in the cutscene bits? Oh, where you're going through the QTEs and it's yeah. like, yeah, I wonder to hit if the it's button. even possible to fail. I, I imagine it's not. Uh, so I failed one on purpose when I was doing the preview event, um, which was the, the early stuff with, with Benedicta. Yes. Um, and I failed, I think it was the the hammer fall or whatever, where, where she lifts up the building and throws it at you. And I failed it on purpose and you just like took damage. I don't know. Right. If you, and I didn't, I, I didn't take enough damage to die. Uh, so uh, I assume yeah. you can die. I, I'd assume you can die. But also, again, it's like kind of hard to die in this game. Um, and so I, I think all that said, I do want to mention the story. Because oh, I've seen a lot, of, a lot of discussion about the story on on ye old Twitter this week, and uh, I may have waded in a little bit and gotten Eric, involved. Look, it. look, I couldn't resist. Um, mo- mostly because I think it's weird to like have discussions about what is a pretty lengthy and and winding story that we can't like fully talk about because of spoilers. Um, there are entire characters that we have not been able to talk about whatsoever uh, and that I'm holding off on talking about until later because I don't want to spoil certain things, but it, w- it made talking about some of my favorite parts of this game very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, I do think there are some wrinkles in the world building of, of Valisthea. I think um, Ash Parrish, our, our friend over at The Verge, uh, has done some excellent writing about said wrinkles and about some of the issues surrounding just like I do think it's more complicated than like as as many have noted that there is like a slavery like beat to this um, that there that is like a major part of the game. And obviously there were all the quotes from Yoshida that were going into this about representation and diversity in this game. And I think Ash did a really good job of breaking down what the actual like tangible result of that is in in the game. Uh, 
And so I would encourage y'all to go read that article. But uh, I think my main takeaway from 16 is that it has a really good story. I really did like like the A plot of the game. I think a lot of the side quest plots are great. I think it's got a really compelling story that ends up working. I think the part where it just kind of grinds for me is how it starts to and and I feel like you touched on this Alex earlier on that like it's RPG sense starts to grind its story and pull it in different places where all of a sudden later in the game you're dealing with the big giant plot and the huge things that that Clive needs to take care of and then you're also kind of going back to Martha's rest and and dealing with like chocobos and stuff and then those (laughs) the weird thing is I I can vibe with like a small scale quest amid all the big stuff, but then they end up hiding big stuff behind those side quests. And I just feel like there's a feeling of this game has a lot of good story and it doesn't know where to put all of it. So it starts putting it in different weird places under quests that aren't really fun to do because they needed to shove this story somewhere. They had story they wanted to tell that didn't fit into the main plot. And so they start shoving it in all these little pockets of quests that you could find all over a, a pretty, it's it's a gorgeous open zone kind of structure they have, but it's also pretty barren at times. It reminds me of like Pokemon Scarvi, where I was like, wow, you made a really big world and there's not a lot in it except for the things you can punch. Is it and really big though? I mean, is it? I mean, because really it's... It's big enough that I was hopping on that Chocobo. <laughs> yeah, and, but then you're right. You are riding through nothing, but it is sort of like it's a bunch of corridors that connects blobs and those blobs are either open desert or open, you know, forest or whatever and towns and most of the towns. uh, That's the element I'd say when you talk about the world, it's like, yeah, I struggle to remember any, there's, there's no, none of the towns in this game are as memorable as like, um, uh, what was it called? Well, you know, (laughs) I remember the name. Um, but uh, the Venice town in 15. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Altissa. Altissa. The, the seaside town. Yeah. No, what, n- none of the towns in this game are as memorable as that place. And you only spend 15 minutes in that place before they flood it and use it to fridge your female lead. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of wild to me that it's still, we're still, we're still stuck on this bloody HD towns are hard thing. Um, because all those beautiful citadels and castles and stuff like that that you see in all the trailers are ostensibly not in the game unless they're in a linear action stage. Um, so I feel like the world feels there's a lot of the world's really big in terms of world building, but in terms of what there actually is, it's not very big in the sense of, like you say, you, you're riding through relatively empty locations, stuff like that, but it doesn't really matter, I guess, because the combat's so good and the loading yeah, is instantaneous yeah. so the fast travel is super oh quick. the loading like so good um yeah, I, yeah so it's it's i've got time for the world and i think clive is one of the best final fantasy protagonists of all time the voice performances mm. i think it's actually uh i actually genuinely believe this is the best ensemble cast in yes a, in a japanese game ever like the overall level of performance and stuff by this cast is incredible um i think final fantasy is often is often about the party members and the people that are outside of that that group fall by the wayside a little bit but 
16 does an exceptional job with characters like, and I won't say anything about them, but just characters like Gav and Byron and Mid, who I've all three, three that I've already mentioned are just all really memorable, really cool. In fact, an interesting fact about this game is they've spent all their promotional budget on pushing the dominance and the, who have the icons because they're the big characters. Mm -hmm. But actually I think those, those three Byron, Gav and Mid are more interesting and more developed than half of the, of those characters yes yeah um, yeah which was a surprise but a pleasant one you know like i yeah i i will say that when i was talking about characters that i feel get sidelined by the narrative a little bit um jill is one of them i feel like there are times in this this game where they didn't really know what to do with jill and so they kind of just start moving her around and 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 putting her in places and she rarely gets to feel like a dominance in in the imposing way that i think other characters feel like a dominant um but mid oh my god mid is the best mid is peak mid is uh so excellent uh there's a scene that is like seared in my brain uh that i was just like this character rules uh if you're an athlete you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down after all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. There's another character who, again, this is like when we talked about immortality and I felt like I could not shout out an incredible performance from one of the main characters of immortality because their existence in the narrative is a spoiler. Uh, and so it's really hard. But I'm going to say that Clive and another specific character who is a lead character in this game, their their performances both independently and together are a highlight, are like a reason to play this game. Uh, I also want to say... Similarly, the, the 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 big bad guy of the game, who is revealed quite early on, to be fair, right? But I yes. won't say yeah, name. Yeah, yeah. But it, but they sort of show their hand quite early with that. Mm. Got surprised. But uh, the person who p- plays them as well is just really good. Very good, I think. Mm. Um, like I, I, it was a really familiar voice all the way through. And then I was like, and then when the credits rolled, I was like, ah, it's like, of course, it's it's uh, one of the best like guest stars in Doctor Who history. Uh, doing, a, <laughs> doing a sort of similar role. I don't know if anyone is a Doctor Who fan. It's it's um it's the guy who plays Baines, the 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 posh schoolboy in um Human Nature and Family of Blood, the one where he turns into a where do, where the Doctor turns into a human, and he's just excellent because it's such a dry role and it could be terrible, and he kills it. And yeah, I know what character you're talking about as well. But yeah, the, the less said about that one, oh. better, I think. <laughs> oh man, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't talk too much, but it's quite good. Um, 
I guess like we're, you know, we're kind of hitting a time limit on how much we can talk about this. I feel like I could talk for another hour and I do feel like a, a spoiler cast isn't the, uh, the cards for acts of the blood God. Uh, once we've had a little bit of time to sit with it, but, um, Nadia, we we haven't gotten much from you. I feel bad that we have been running the discussion with a lot of the like end game. We finished it stuff. How have you felt about 16 so far from what you've played? Uh, like I said, so far, I'm kind of having trouble with the combos, but I think I'm, I'm thinking more of a rise than Devil May Cry. So that might be my problem right there. Uh, okay, uh, yeah. I, I've never been a huge Devil May Cry player. Not because I, I dislike it or anything. I just haven't, one of the series I want to get to. I never really had a chance to. Uh, so it's a matter of getting used to that, but I did really enjoy the Marlboro fight. I thought that was pretty awesome. Yeah, and um, Please, I, I think a lot of this Marlboro now. Oh, that's right. That's right. It's so I looked this up because I was writing, I was writing a guide about this because there's another Marlboro you fight later as a like uh, hunt for one of the side quests that you have to do. And I, because of the way the internet works today, I was writing that guide on on how to find it and beat it because uh, that's that's where the seo is right now um but uh i was looking this up and it was very confusing because i've always called them marlboros because i was like oh it's like the cigarette they have bad breath because they smoke oh it's a fun joke and I, I don't know if that's the intention or not but it was um yeah they've been called marlboros morbles there was another one more ball i think or something like that I, in final I, fantasy 6 they were mad oscars yeah, they they've been called so many different things. Uh, over I, I'm the... fi- I'm fine with I'm fine with all that. By the way, I think because mm-hmm. some people are mad about things like that, and I'm absolutely fine with them sort of uh, taking the silly sheen off some names that they think are silly stuff like that. They've certainly given um, like goblins and things like that more of a more of a witchery sort of look. Mm-hmm. A, mm-hmm. a Tolkien look. I mean, when I, I was is... saying on Twitter that like if this is how goblins like little gobbies look under the mask in final fantasy 14 i'm not playing anymore because i love the <laughs> gobbies i think they're so great and i i do say that like maybe ff 16 takes itself a lot more seriously than most other final fantasies which i'll i'll see i'll, I'll keep playing of course but i'll have to see if that like you know just rubs on me the wrong way or if i i just like will get will enjoy because i was never a game of thrones fan um or a song of fire and ice fan but i know that the team like I know that Heaven's Word is basically Game of Thrones, but not exactly Game of Thrones. And I know that like even uh, Skyrim was supposed to be inspired by Song of Fire and Ice. But even that's like, you know, still its own little fun thing. And I'm just kind of curious how Games of Thronesy uh, this game gets. It's it's very heavy up front. And then I feel like that stuff falls away by like halfway through the game. And it becomes well, it be- a little bit more of a traditional Final Fantasy game. A lot more, I think. I think that's the... Mm-hmm. the- that's a positive and a negative right i love the story but i think for some people um i think jason Schreier was was tweeting about this and i think he took it he much was. more negatively than i yeah did, yeah where the game sets up a bunch of quite human quite grounded themes and then once it gets mm-hmm. i wouldn't say halfway but two-thirds through it yeah, drops yeah. them all for a very traditional sort of final fantasy direction and so it, you think you spend the first half of the game thinking, oh, this game's going to have something interesting to say about climate change and about slavery and about discrimination. And then it doesn't really because it just wants to move on to the tropes. Well, so mm-hmm. I, I will say, and I, I said as much in Twitter replies, and again, this is like impossible because spoilers, but <laughs> it is hard. Yeah. Uh, the the crystal stuff, like like all the climate change stuff, I think 
sticks. I think all the stuff around the blight and all that still stays relevant. I do think a lot of the stuff around the the branded the bearers um does it, it doesn't fall out of the plot, but it does fall to side quests. It does become like there's the the East Pool stuff, and that's kind of where that goes. Is um there's a whole side quest chain where they start to try and deal with that. I think that has some individual problems in its writing. Um, but they, they, it, that, that is kind of what I talked about when I was saying earlier that as the game goes on, their storytelling kind of fragments. It's because they start to try to have it all have those like grounded human stories, but also the big overarching final fantasy story that you can feel the narrative start to like stretch like, like, like butter spread too thin on a piece of toast. Can you tell that I watched Lord of the Rings recently? Um, and, uh, I, I do feel that like tension there where there, there was a side quest where I was playing and I was like, this is good shit. Why is this not mandatory? Why is this Mm. not something that they're like signposting? They do have little icons like in 14, like little plus signs. They're like, do this if you want to get something, extra but those are just for like oh i want to get the thing that unlocks me my ability to hold more potions or whatever um i kind of wish there was a thing that was like this is where the good shit is but also like you know no no game developers ever going to be like here's our good side quests and here's our bad side quests so <laughs> here's um, the shit ones yeah yeah i mean cyberpunk kind of did but that's that's a different story um it's it's interesting to see, but um, final wrapping thoughts, Alex, on on sixteen at least our initial spoiler free, frustratingly uh, takes on it. It's a really good it's it's a really good game. It's definitely the best uh, Final Fantasy since the PS2 era. Although I leave mm. that up to you, whether that means ten or twelve, because that's a complicated conversation. But I do think mm. it's better than thirteen and fifteen. I turn again to something I said in my review, I guess though which is about comparing it to 15 and i quite liked the sort of uh the point that i stumbled upon there which is 15 is a very easy game to love very easy game to love and it's somehow more than the sum of its parts even though a lot of those parts are frequently broken bad shitty just 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 rough yeah 15 you love it in spite of and also because of all that stuff Mm-hmm. Yeah, 16 is curiously similar and different all at once because it's a game mm. that is packed with routine brilliance and many of its parts are super high quality and super polished and wonderfully designed and just impossibly brilliant but it's a lot of those excellently devised parts are dragged down a little bit by you know by just other elements of the game that just don't lock in don't fit right aren't designed well and it's frustrating and i guess it's still better than 15 but i suppose 16 is less than the sum of its parts in the same way that for, that 15 is more than the sum of its parts in a way but it's still better than 15 and i guess the reason why it's so frustrating is 15 13 um, those games are okay. I'm a 15 defender to some degree. I think it gets a bad mm. rep, and I think in, inevitably now the Final Fantasy cycle, people will, will begin to turn on 16 in, in six months and begin to reevaluate 15 as a masterpiece, mm. um, which mm-hmm. is always what happens. But I guess those games, you couldn't see a world, even in your wildest imagination, where those games came out 
and were best in class 10 out of 10 like earth shattering in industry shattering games um you couldn't see that you couldn't see that through the the hubble telescope you know it was that far away from those games mm. with 16 it feels like that sort of greatness is just over the hill and that bit's a little bit frustrating obviously because it feels like it's right. so close and yet so far uh, but i still yes. really enjoyed my whole time of it and i absolutely do plan the best thing i can say is i do plan to go in and do a new game plus uh run and I'll probably 100% yeah. it a second time, but I think my intention first is to have a palate cleanser and probably replay FF7 Remake again. So make it that way you will. I didn't like it as much as Remake, but I liked it a hell of a lot. Yeah, I think my my ultimate feeling on it is that I, I loved it for what it was. I loved it for what it did. I was frustrated with some of the ways in which it fell short, but I, I think the feeling I kept having as I was playing it was that, you know, to, to contextualize it within the broader gaming landscape, PS5s have been left wanting for a while, I think. Um, like like PlayStation 5, the new generation has started. And we've had a couple PS5 exclusives. I don't know that any of them, save maybe Ratchet and Clank, have felt like these big, this is the next generation of gaming moment. Like They've kind of struggled to have that game that isn't just like, here's a new gameplay mechanic that we can do. Astro's Playroom was fantastic for that also astro's playroom is an amazing game but uh like the sort of big budget thing that final fantasy has been in the past of like this is the game you get if you buy a ps5 and i do think like if you buy a ps5 and want a game to play on it that's gonna make you feel like i bought the next generation of a gaming console like 16 is going to do that for you 16 is going to have those moments where you're like this is big and gorgeous and beautiful and super produced and Sokin's music is just blasting in the background and I'm doing all this cool shit and I feel really awesome right now and yeah and like that is something that I think you know other other genres are suited to as well but like character action RPG seems like very well suited for in that what in that way uh, and I, I think that's what 16 felt like to me was that moment where I was like, this is a big, bold, beautiful game that is like super over the top that costs so much money to make and and so much time and, and manpower to make that like only a few companies can manage to do this. And so to see somebody like do this and hit the baseball directly felt good and, and was was really enjoyable to watch. Um, it even has, you know, for 15, I'm also a bit of a 15 defender and one of my favorite final fantasy moments in general is the boys showing up to insomnia all those years later, uh, and walking Mm -hmm. into the city and 16 has a similar moment that just absolutely nails it for me. And I was like, okay, you had your, your 15 moment. Okay. I'm on board. Uh, (laughs) but it's just it, it it's such a big beautiful wonderful roller coaster of a game that is like engaging and entertaining all the way through and i think that moment where i had finished the game i had just gone through that whole like even even for a review game that isn't the longest i've played this year i i do think it's always worth mentioning that like when you play a game for review you feel that like time crunch you feel that like mm-hmm. I need to finish it by X point so I can start writing my reviews. So it can go into edits so I can start sorting my screenshots so I can start planning my post launch coverage and all that sort of thing. Even after I'd done all that and I normally hit my exhaustion point with the game with 16, I've been sitting here like, 
but I could do new game plus, but I could play back through this game again with all my, my tools, with all my toys. And it's, it's going to be even better the second time. And I, I value, I put a lot of value in that. I think it's, it's a really, a really fascinating, interesting game that if you own a PS five, I don't think there's a reason not to try this game, at least the demo. Like it's also a very generous demo, which square has been very good about lately. Um, and I think if you played that and came out of it like, oh, OK, then then you should definitely give this whole game a try. And and you might stumble on some of the words that we talked about. But I, I think it is overall a journey worth taking. And I think in, in fairness, I just want to say one last thing. This team absolutely is an MMO team. Right. And, and so and yes. they've always been quite receptive. So I wonder if they will take some of the comments about stuff like side quest crafting, things like that on board. And if we might see this game get updated and improved in a way that also significantly improves some of the some of the shortcomings i mean you know you mentioned the the, the insomnia stuff in 15 the royal edition version of insomnia is uh, so significantly wildly different and hopefully i've never played it and i'm so bummed because i do want to play it someday it's, you know I'm, i i shit you not when i say this but the 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 royal edition version of insomnia is probably the best final dungeon in final fantasy history or at least mm. it's either that or ultimacia's castle it's one of the two mm-hmm. um so they really did they really did uh did, did a good job there and hopefully we get a similar thing with 16 where they can really there's a lot less problems to address than there were with 15 but hopefully they mm. can dig in and address them with the same sort of uh, vigor and it would make a huge difference i think Well, that is all for our Final Fantasy 16 talk this week. I'm sure we're going to talk more about it on the weeks to come, but we've got other things to talk about here today before we wrap, starting with a little bit of a side quest before our random encounters. We've got a Nintendo Direct that aired this last week, and uh, y'all, 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 y'all heard of a game called Super Mario RPG? It may uh, or may not be in the Pantheon, so you yeah. might want to look at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who can say? Who can say? Uh, but it's getting remade with Yoko Shimomura back on board. And uh, I'd say that's pretty exciting. I think a lot of people are pretty excited about that. What about you, Nadia? Oh, yeah. The, the thing that's very exciting about this is that you can tell right away. It's not exactly a, like, you know, um, cynical reskin or anything like that. Like, Nintendo looked at the characters and said, okay, how can we, like, kind of, we have to use a 3D model for this, but how can we translate it into something that's, you know, kind of like the original. Of course, Mario's a squad as hell, but uh, everyone else looks fantastic. Like, Gino looks amazing. Malo, I might even like Malo because he looks so cute. Uh, everything looks like, not, not just the way it looks, but also the way it sounds. Like, when I, when the thing, when the, the trailer first came out, the thing that hit me was the, the remixes of, like, Yoko Shimomura's work. Like, mm, ho- mm-hmm. holy shit, I, I'm going to buy it for that alone. But uh, yeah, I am very much looking forward to this. I'm actually wondering, though, like, it's not exactly a very content-heavy game. It's a very short RPG, even by uh, 16-bit standards. So I wonder if they'll add anything or if they just know eh, everyone's going to buy this anyway. So just put it out the way it is. It would be great if they added some stuff. But I did what I saw. Most of what I saw I recognized, except if you look at the battle system, there's, like, gauges and stuff like that. That looks very different. So, yeah, curiosity and all that. Alex, are you a Super Mario RPG fan? Yeah, I mean, I was one of those people who 
experienced it later in life via emulation because mm. obviously it didn't come out in Europe. Um, but uh, mm, that's right. Yeah, like it's a great game. Um, it feels really surreal too. There's a certain style of uh, to the to Shimomura's music in that game, and it's a style she mm. really only used in that game, and then later in Kingdom Hearts. So that it's quite surreal to hear that sort of music not attached to a Kingdom Hearts game with modern synth. Um, mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. I really love is it appears to be very faithful. I think the question mark there is Nintendo, the, a, a Super Nintendo RPG with all the difficulties and slightly obtuse nature and slightly slow nature. There's always the danger in modern Nintendo that they try to take the edges off and shave off some of what was special. Uh, but I hope that right. doesn't happen. I'm really excited. I could kind of want to know who's making it that might answer the question of yeah how much might change mm. and we still don't know but yeah i i will say uh you know i'm excited for super mario rpg i've never played it uh, i'm i'm probably oh, gonna right. play it for the first time with the okay. remake uh, i'm looking forward to that i'm also gonna say uh there was another game silent hope that showed up that i'm kind of a little bit more i know this is like like heinous this, this is sacrilege but i'm really curious about this one it's a uh, marvelous and exceed game where you play seven different heroes who have this kind of like base built above an abyss and you do like runs uh into the abyss to get like resources and delve deeper Ooh, i love and games when like you, that when, when you come back to the surface you do like some base building some like harvest moon rune factory type you know farming and caretaking and you're building like a village above the abyss and i think that's a really cool setup i like that a lot I'm looking forward to that p5 tactica looks looks interesting i don't think it's going to light the world on fire but uh i i do like the idea of seeing those characters and and getting a little bit more of that world and that style um dq monsters nadia are you excited yeah. for dq monsters i am actually uh the last one the last game we had dq treasures i think it was called or something like that it was very mm-hmm. cute and i liked it but the key element of dragon quest monsters was missing like you could recruit monsters but they weren't really like they fought with you, of course, but they weren't really like the, the focus of the game. Whereas here, it looks like a traditional uh, monsters uh, game where you kind of intermingle the monsters and make horrible creations. Uh, it's actually, from what I can tell, it is based around the antagonist of Dragon Quest Four, who I can't remember his name. He was an elf. He was an asshole. But he was mad because his love got killed by humans. So it's interesting we're going to be going through the game from his perspective. Uh, looking forward to that. And there is actually the last scene you see of him confronting the hero of dragon quest four pizarro that's it thank you uh started uh and i'll also say that star ocean remake looks really nice like that might be my favorite thing that i saw at the direct i think it looks really cool and like early star ocean is a blind spot for me and i would like to to kind of dip into that like that fantasy star two franchises that i've wanted to spend a little bit more time in at some point and so having like a really nice modern way of doing that sounds great I'm the, really into that. Uh, the, the graphical style they're using for that are very curious. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminds me of what Konami's doing with Suikoden. So maybe this is a direction that uh, people are moving into with retro games, which I don't hate. Like, I like the, you know, sprites against a photoreal, not really photorealistic, but like that's the rendered 4K part. And the sprites are still kind of like, you know, hey, we're little sprites. It looks mm. really good with the, with the Suikoden collection so far. It looks a little strange with the Star Ocean, but I still kind of dig it. I think it's nice to see something that sort of evokes the feeling of the 2d hd stuff but is actually a different style um yes exactly yeah. and i look forward to i'm sure there's going to be added content of some description some added systems or something so it'll be interesting to see what they do well that's all for the nintendo direct 
And now it's time for a series of random encounters. Elder Scrolls is still five plus years away, Phil Spencer says, as the Xbox (laughs) FTC case carries on. E3 2024 and 2025 are on shaky ground. Go, sorry, go ahead, Alex. I was just going to say, sorry, about this Elder Scrolls thing. Why are people surprised yeah. about this? No one's surprised by it. No one's, like, no one's taken it back by this. It's clearly a problem in video games development in particular. Um, I mean, look, we've been talking about Final Fantasy 16, right? Like, that was a game where every now and then I got a little wee heads up uh, from development. And the mm-hmm. first concept art I saw of that game was dated like mid 2016 oh, so that game was in development that, yeah. for a while so like this is just how long games take now and i don't know what people mm-hmm. want like i saw this reported with shock and awe and i was just like no shit <laughs> <laughs> i i find it more interesting like i find it newsworthy just because it is that thing of like do people not get this yet like this is well, something I mean. that yeah, you should yeah. know like that yeah, yeah. Like, I, I bring it up because it's like, yeah, that's what it takes to make a video game these the good days. The news is that the older you get, the faster time goes. So it was going to be like a blink of an eye and you're going to have the uh-huh, game. And you're also uh-huh. going to be 50. And then we'll all be dead. It'll, yeah. it'll be great. Um, speaking of things that are dead, E3 2024 and 2025 are on shaky ground as the Ding LA Tourism Board says the show has been canceled. Uh, ESA says no final decision has been made yet. I do feel it's it's worth noting, as others have, that just because the shows are, are reportedly canceled within LA does not mean they're not happening. But boy, does it seem like that show is on some real shaky ground right now. And uh, the ESA and... Uh, other fellows might be trying to figure out what to do with the beast that is E3 as Jeff Keeley continues to dance He's on top dancing. the grave. More on Jeff Keeley in just a Busting moment. Busting a move. Metaphor, Ari Fantasio is coming to PC and PlayStation as well as Xbox. I don't think there was much worry about that either, but that's always the weird thing about those showcases is they uh, say that it's coming to a platform and then don't announce the other platforms yeah. it's coming to. So. Good to have confirmation of that. Chocobo GP quietly relaunched as a full game. Like I've been kind of poking around that because I'm curious about it. It seems like there's a relaunch of that game, at least on the eShop. There with- seems to, yeah, there seems to be this this almost trend of, or not enough to say a trend, but kind of a swinging in this direction where they're taking away the in-app purchases from these like free-to-play games, like free-to-play style games and making them like, you know, actual experiences like, uh, Rockman X Dive, like that's another good example. Mm, mm-hmm, I feel mm-hmm. like maybe the era of whale hunting is coming to an end in the West because they know everything is in the East. So they might well, just it, be kind of stopping with that. It's because Genshin and Honkai are too good at it. They can't compete. Mm, that's uh, true. That, that's yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Look, I know. I, I stared into the abyss and the abyss stared back at me. Uh, I, I have resisted going on to Honkai just to roll for the banner characters, even though they're very good banner characters. Uh, <laughs> the Botan Kaitos remaster has a September launch date and Jeff Keeley knows a woman. She just could not make it to SGF. Uh, this was a little news beat that was going around where people rightfully pointed out that there was not uh, a woman on stage at the SGF live show. And in a recent interview, Jeff Keeley had said that there was a, a woman set to appear on the stage but was not able to make it it was his girlfriend minute. in canada 
Um, yeah, yeah. You don't it goes to a different school. Uh, don't don't worry about it. Uh, yeah, it doesn't <laughs> doesn't have a landline either, so uh, it's kind of difficult to get in touch. Yeah, I, but this I mean, com- look, this there- comes back to the E three thing, right? I just mm-hmm. I don't think SGF was good enough, really, and that's not on Jeff, but it's just like I feel like the whole the industry deserves better for its summer showcase. Whether that's Jeff improving I, or E3 coming back or a new event from someone else, I don't know. But yeah, I think this is good post-show discussion to mm. talk about E3 and SGF. And if you at home would like to listen to the post-show, you can just go on over to patreon.com slash bloodgodpod and uh, sign up for the, the Stars of Destiny tier where you get that post-show every week, live or recorded. Uh, but we are now moving on to the summer of Korra. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. folks it is the end of book two the um controversial end of book two (laughs) let's say so when i have frequently alluded to the fact that there are things in book two that don't sit right with some people we're in it now because uh we have the harmonic convergence in episode 12 where cora pals attempt to storm the south pole uh they manage to fight but not keep vatu from escaping vatu does get out uh then more fighting uh janora meanwhile tenzin and siblings do rescue janora from the spirit world with the help of ang and tenzin finally realizing that he needs to stop trying to be like ang i do like that that beat quite a bit i think that's yeah. a good section uh then unalak with the help of vatu rips rava out of Korra beats the living bejesus out of rava annihilating the avatar cycle in the process and becomes the dark avatar unavatu um <laughs> he then becomes really big and goes to republic city to start tearing it up i'm not sure why he just teleported to republic city it's look it's mm, there's a lot uh <laughs> Korra, distraught that she is now the last Avatar, uh, tries to reconnect with Rava and does, and so establishes a new Avatar cycle, becomes a giant woman, fights Unavatu in the waters of Republic City. Jinora shows up to like do something, still not totally clear what she did in all of this, uh, and then wins the giant person fight. Uh, Unavatu is destroyed. Vatu is vanquished for 10,000 years. And Korra decides to leave the spirit portals open so spirits and humans can live together again. That's uh, 
That is, oh. I, I, to, to quote Douglas Adams, that seems like a very bad move that everyone uh, does not like. So well, before we get deep into this, Alex Donaldson, are you uh, an Avatar person? No, all this is like you're speaking it's, French. Yeah, yeah. It's proper. It's <laughs> proper sounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Nadia, how did you feel about all the stuff that happens at the end of book two? I feel like everything happened so much as the e- horse ebooks once said. Like that just uh I was disappointed a little bit because this was a big build. This is a very serious thing that's happening. Like holy crap, like darkness and balance and avatar stuff. And it's just as you said, all kind of resolved. Like they have a big Godzilla fight and Kor's a giant woman, even though Aang was like a in his form, he was like his big ass like spirit deer thing like that well, and like, he the he fused with the moon spirit to become right. that that was that was an important thing but yeah um it's I uh think... it just felt like a very standard kind of fight for avatar like it's uh i felt like it should have a lot more weight behind it and at least like, the fight itself should be like two episodes not him saying i am rava oh, oh not anymore bye yeah so obviously the thing that a lot of people take onus with in this in this section is uh, the destruction of the avatar cycle. So basically being like the, the old avatar cycle is no more. Korra can no longer speak to any of her past lives. Um, you know, everything from Wan to Ang is now gone. And Korra is now it like, like has restarted the avatar cycle, but is now essentially what Wan was back then. Um I am of mixed opinion on this, mostly because I felt like they did it just to kind of get out of some binds of having to like think about past lives and bring old characters back in and stuff like that. I, I think that's like a unique storytelling aspect that Avatar had in its corner of like, I loved when Aang would consult with Roku. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like those were some great moments. And I think the moments in which Aang showed up in, uh, in Korra have been really good. So the idea that Aang might not show up anymore is, is kind of a bummer from book two. I honestly thought that she was going to stay in the spirit world and try to reconnect, but no, she's like, let's leave the door open. (laughs) Yeah. And, and so the idea of that's the other thing in that part, I actually do kind of like of, of her saying, you know, what Juan did was short sighted and I want to try and do something different. Um, and, And I really like the hesitancy that she's like, I'm not sure if it's the, the correct choice, but it feels like the right choice. I think that's like something I like a lot about Cora as a character is that she tries to do what's right, even if she's not sh- like certain that it's going to be good. Um, yeah. But she she tries to do good. Uh, I think that's like a very human aspect of that character. Uh, I just the whole the giant person fight is what I keep coming back to <laughs> because for a series that is so about bending and yeah. the ways in which bending and martial arts overlap and the, the gorgeous choreography that happens. I think the, the final fight between uh, not even when they get into their giant forms, I think that's just dumb. It's just yeah. them shooting beams and lasers back and forth at each other. And then at one point, like Cora goes for a command grab and that one was kind of neat, but like otherwise it's just, them doing like dragon ball power shots at each other. But then even before that, the fight between Korra and, and Unalak when they were kind of zooming around on their tornadoes and all that wasn't as exciting as those fights have been in the past. And I think 
book two really like loses that thread of compelling bending fights in in a way that I will say I've already watched the first three episodes of book three and they do get back to like the meat and potatoes that make uh, Avatar fights so good. But a lot of this book too felt like the ending came together very slapdash. Uh, I don't like the whole it's a dark Avatar. It's, yeah, I, I feel like the way they get Unalak from I want to open the spirit portals. I think that spirits and humans need to live together in harmony to I am actually just looking for power. Yeah, and want I, mean, power. I don't feel like they like, like of all the core villains. We just came off of book one where at least you could see the like one to one of uh, Tonrock and uh, Amon. I forgot what Amon's actual name is. Um, but like the way that they became the way they were like what in their life led to them being that way. We didn't get that with Unalak. We just exactly Unalak was just posed to us as has always been a schemer, has always wanted power, has always wanted things, but also wants like the spirits and they never really portray. I would have even liked it if they were like, oh, the spirits are just like a means to an end. But he's like, no, I care about the spirits. I want the spirits are on my side because I care about them. If he had just always been a schemer for power, maybe that works better. But I just like he is the weakest of the core villains by far and feels very cartoonish. There's a a scene actually when he's destroyed and the twins are like, uh, uh, whatever. Uh, One of them says, well, what are we going to say to our mother? And okay, he had a wife. I thought she was dead or something. Like, I would have liked to know more about her. And she learned like through her what a kind of person Unalak was beyond I like spirits and I like power. That would have been good. Yeah, yeah. So ultimately, I think book two just falls a bit flat for me, even though there are parts of it that I still really liked. I love the part where Asami is flying the plane and you have like Mako and Bolin carabinered onto the plane's wings, like throwing fire and and stones or like it was the C4 charges that Bolin was like bending out like that was super sick. And there's a lot of moments that I think are really powerful and really good. Uh, I even like Desna and Eska in the last bit. Like they're just a fun duo and they finally give them a little bit more to work with. And I I think that's entertaining. Uh, It's just overall, I think definitely the weakest season of Korra. And I feel like I can say that pretty confidently. I feel like that's not a hot take, but I do like individual parts of it and the ways in which it sets up some better parts in, in book three and book four with all the work it does for Korra as a character, finally having her being able to like maturely move on from the breakup with with Mako. Like I thought that scene was very good. I thought all the stuff with Tenzin and the siblings, as we've been talking about, very strong. Uh, just uh, I can't get over the giant people battle. Can't get over it. It <laughs> the just doesn't. The fifty foot woman. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of silly. It's just oh, uh, eh. Anyways, well, I'm looking forward to book three. So there's that. Next week is going to be a banger. Next week's going to be a banger. Uh, well, we'll talk about that when we get there. But that is book two. We will do a special on that one as well as book one. Uh, those will be on the way where we'll do a full recap and talk about the big overarching things that happen. Might even combine them into like one super episode. Uh, hmm. Haven't really decided yet, but that we'll, we'll see how that that pans out. Uh, as we've said, life stuff has just gotten in the way. But until then, Nadia, take us home.
Uh, this is a question I initially saw like on Twitter, and uh, it's been in my mind since. I just never had a chance to air it. What was the first horror movie you remember seeing that completely screwed you up? And I'll go first. Okay. My first horror movie that I was really too young for was The Gate. Have either of you seen The Gate? Mm, I have not. It's actually a Canadian production, and it's a really good horror film. It's about like a bunch of kids who uh, their dog dies, and for some reason that summons the devil or one or the other. But anyway, there is a gateway to hell that opens up, and there's really creepy-ass um, claymation. And the problem with this was that like my whole family was watching it for some goddamn reason. And my father, for the next, well, rest of our lives, he would imitate. Like, there was this scene where everything's going wrong and everything's terrible. And the, the, the parents are gone through this movie. But then they supposedly come back. Like, hi, kids, we're going to take care of everything. And their faces fall off. And it's, like, just, like, mm. so horrifying. And they say, like, you've been bad. And my father, like, for years would say, you've been bad, just to fuck with us. And, yeah, that was... um after that was poltergeist which is not really horror as per se but it's such a great great movie in terms of mood like the part i find most terrifying is the tree part with the going through the window and whatnot and uh there's the crawling meat thing which we're discussing but yeah um i'm not a huge horror fan but i love those two movies and i'm wondering like uh eric what was the movie that your parents said don't watch it and you watched it and you regretted it instantly I I didn't have too many of those movies. I watched Jurassic Park at a young age and it like I don't know, it was kind of scary, but I was fine with it. It was my it was my sister who uh was a little bit more scared by that one than I was. I think the first movie that really got to me <laughs> this is going to sound so weird. Um y'all have seen Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Oh right? yeah, Great yeah, movie. yeah. Anniversary just came up. When he gets run over by the steamroller. Oh, that scares the shit out of me. And then stands back up as that like 2D version is the when I killed your brother, I talk just like this. And like, yeah, it's oh that's no, such a great no. movie. No. That one that one still freaks me out. Everything I still with Judge don't like Doom that. is scary. Yeah. Like even when he's normal, quote unquote, he's scary as frick. Yeah. The the dip Sardin in the chat brings up the dip. The dip makes me sad. Yeah, like, like that's that that part makes me sad. I get sad watching that. Yeah. But uh, it's it's the the flat Stanley Doctor Doom or Doctor Doom um Judge Doom. <laughs> Judge Doom. Yeah, that that freaks me out. Uh, I didn't like that. And then I I didn't watch much like scary movie stuff until later. But I will say uh when I watched The Ring for the first time oh. that definitely uh. So yeah, that, that got Ringu. I saw Ringu before I saw the ring and they're both great in their own ways. But Ringu is just I love Japanese horror. Like it's so subtle. But so there's something I wrote on Twitter a, a long time ago. How like, you know, a Western horror movie. Blah, I'm Jason from hell. I'm going to kill mm -hmm. you. And it's like, eh, whatever. But Ringu puts a, a towel on a guy's head and I'm freaking out. Like that's just mm -hmm. the way Japanese mm -hmm. horror is. But with uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, just to go back there for a second. It's interesting because when I was a kid, that was the multiverse event that blew my mind. That was like, oh, mm -hmm. my God, mm -hmm. Mickey Mouse and 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 and, and Bugs Bunny. That's mm -hmm. insane. Mm -hmm. I guess crossovers don't have that kind of power now over kids because everything's crossing over with everything. Yeah, everything's a multiverse. Everything's crossing over. But I the thing I love about Who Framed Roger Rabbit is not even just that it's a you know crossover multiversal event or whatever. 
it's just a really good movie. It like is. I still like plot. that movie. It's yeah, it's it's like a good like hard-boiled noir detective story but with like cartoon characters yeah. and um uh Bob Hoskins, right? Bob Hoskins. Yeah. Um the, his delivery on some of those lines is so good. Like he he plays the the way that like uh Michael Caine in uh Muppet Christmas Carol plays the part just like pitch perfect to what it needs to be in every role. Yeah. Uh in every scene, like Hoskins nails it. He's perfect. He's he's like he gets it just right. Oh my god. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh he's god. he's just an all-timer in acting in general. Yeah. He's just yeah. Yeah. yes. It's also when you grow up and you watch it again, you're like, wow, this had a lot of commentary on U.S. transportation at the time, which was uh, mm-hmm. everything that went bad there kind of spread to the rest of the U.S. Unfortunately, it's, uh, it's hard. It, it's hard to believe. Yeah. Like, yeah, they don't make kids films like that anymore, really. Or mm-hmm. Family films, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Drew WRX and the uh, RWX in the chat put up the uh, only good quote-unquote multiverse which was cartoon all-stars to the rescue i never watched they didn't show us that in canada i don't <laughs> think we had our own psa some of them were really fucked up but they weren't cartoon all-stars to the rescue which is uh i watched that and it's like if you're gonna te- if you're gonna tell kids about drugs be honest about it like this was so stupid like they don't even show the drugs like they show oh oh my god michael's on drugs and it's a bunch of like it looked like a coconut I'm like what is that who's he's smoking a coconut i'd be concerned but i wouldn't say he's on weed Alex, do you have any scary movies you watched before you should have that, that um, messed with you? No, and I, and I was always quite, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, my parents never kept me away from very much stuff. To be fair, they most part. Mm. I will say, when I was very young, based on when this film came out, I'm gonna guess that I was maybe three or four, um, and someone must have had like a VHS rental copy or something of Edward Scissorhands. Ah, and I didn't watch the movie, but I just saw enough of it to be familiar with the nature of that character. And I, uh, it completely freaked me out. Um, and it was something that freaked me out for years after the fact, the thought of it. So that's my my weird one. But I, I, I looked it up while you guys were talking. And I was like, yeah, it came out in 91. So I would have been two when it first came out. Oh my and then God. you sort of think about the rental, the, the rental market, maybe it takes... 12 months to come to VHS and then it gets rented. So I reckon I was probably about four, which is definitely too young for the concept of someone who can slice you open with their hands. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. That's going to do it for us here on the main show, the extra long main show this week. Uh, talking about 16 and all that. Thanks again to our guest here, Alex Donaldson. Plug some stuff while you got the chance. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I'm on Twitter at AP Zone Runner, but I, I appear to be a, uh, shadow banned at the minute for some reason i don't know oh, if no. i did something God. to elon so if you type my name are. in the search bar it doesn't work right now but did i am you, on did you type the word sis in because apparently yeah, that's, apparently that's, that's a, a bad now. word genuinely yeah. i think what probably did it is a tweet that i made about uh about the the proprietor of the website and then suddenly oh. my name disappeared from all searches but you can you can still find me by typing it into uh the uh the actual url as an AP zone runner. Also at RPG site on Twitter, RPG site.net. That is uh, exactly what it says on the tin. It's great for people who like Axe the Blood God because it's a website that is just about role playing games. Uh, and, you know, we do all the things you would expect news, reviews, previews, guides. If you're doing the hunts in Final Fantasy 16, we've got a pretty good hunts guide. Probably the best one on the internet at the minute. 
Um, yeah, and VG247, do you want to read my Final Fantasy review? I spend most of my time is spent running RPG site, but I spend a couple of days a week doing stuff for VG247.com, and that is where you can read my FF16 review. Uh, yeah, so yeah, visit those things. Follow me on Twitter or Blue Sky or whatever. And uh, yeah, I hope to come back on. It's been too long since the last time. So hopefully uh, I can come and do a pantheon or something. Uh, and hopefully when there's not a huge heat wave would be great. Yeah, be, yeah, yeah, we'll work on that. We'll get that set up for you. It was great having you back on. Of course, you can find me at C. Boosie. You can find Nadia at Nadia Oxford. Cat, who is not here with us, is at the under at the underscore cat bot. You can follow us at blood God pod as well. And on patreon.com slash blood God pod. We'll be back next week with all that good RPG goodness. But until then for Nadia, for Alex, for myself, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. episode is brought to you by paramount plus get in loser mean girls is now streaming on paramount plus join katie heron as she meets the plastics and tina fey's new twist on the modern classic get ready for more of the rumors backstabbing and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises rated pg-13 wear pink and head to paramountplus.com to try it free